Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on? Coach Luca back here with the Vigor Life Podcast. And, uh, well, put it this way, like last week you heard, um, I would say my interview with John Berardi at the Vigor Round Fitness and Business Summit um, as we put that up. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Would really love some feedback. Uh, we got some incredible feedback from the event. Uh, but I wanted to get you guys this feedback and definitely, definitely uh, get JB's book, Changemaker, which is phenomenal. Uh, should be out by the time you listen to this. It should be out in stores or close to it. I think it comes out November 5th. Um, but so like this, because this, this podcast is going to piggyback on that a little bit. You know, one of the, uh, I would say next ones, I will for sure do the biggest lessons and takeaways. I'm still going through notes, still writing some stuff out from the Vigor uh, Ground Fitness and Business Summit as it was um, pretty, pretty damn unbelievable. Um, uh, like I said, some of the best speakers uh, in the world. Uh, it was packed, standing room only. Uh, obviously, we actually, I just had a meeting with the Hyatt for next year to make some things better. It's crazy how a lot of times my brain will go like, oh, man, what did we do wrong? And, and so I had to take a step back from that and just, you know, appreciate and be grateful for what happened uh, at the event and just honestly could share the tear of how grateful uh, I am still and was um, for all the amazing speakers, attendees. Like I said, uh, most of the speakers, well, either some of my best friends in the world or definitely my close friends. I uh, can't say enough about how much I love and appreciate them. And so you know, I took a step back to just appreciate how uh, amazing everything was and, you know, then give myself some space to go like, okay, how can we make it better next year? And I just had a, a meeting with the Hyatt about next year's event, which I'll keep you posted. I don't want to give away too much already. Um, with that said, I, I was thinking about like, well, what are some, you know, some things about um, that, that I want to talk about? Like, I have a lot to talk about. Maybe you guys have noticed this or maybe not, but... <laughs> But with that said, like almost, you know, do another master class. And here's why, like, I, you know, people reach out and say, hey, I love this. You know, this was phenomenal. I uh, got some great feedback on uh, the program design podcast. Actually, incredible feedback on that one. Uh, if you guys want more of that, please send your questions in because I love to, like I said, do stuff that's based on, um, I would say that's based on you guys' feedback and what you're looking for. So that matters. I listen to that, uh, you know, whether it's you DMing me, emailing me, um, any of those work. And like I said, I just store those and, and work on that. But I wanted to do a master class on nutrition and we'll put it this way. Like this could go so deep once again. And I've done a bunch of different ones that talk about this. Um, but I kind of want to go through a little bit of a process. Right. And and um, kind of do two bubbles. And what I mean by two bubbles Actually, like listening to JB speak, one of the things that, um, you know, obviously I can definitely say I've been heavily influenced by precision nutrition. Um, while I've, I have been studying, I would say, nutrition for uh, two decades now, and I say two decades because uh, uh, I spent at least the last five to six years of my college and pro basketball career really studying nutrition, um, not only fixing, you know, I, I had a OTS, over, like true overtraining syndrome, not just Hey, I was overtrained. Like I had true overtraining syndrome, hospital, the whole shebang. Uh, when I was younger, just doing training too much, not recovering enough, um, you know, just being crazy. And and um, you know, that led me to actually dive into nutrition because I was like, man, I got I gotta make sure that my nutrition is on point. I gotta make sure I improve my recovery and my sleep and 
all these different factors and I so dove into it. So it, you know, that was, it was a whole part of my, I would say college and pro career that I really uh, studied it for myself and, you know, then dove myself into nutrition uh, as far as, as far as, you know, the coaching aspect goes on, on coaching others and helping them with their nutrition. So I, I wanted to, to start today with when it comes to nutrition for most people, you know, there's really two buckets, right? There's really two buckets. And the two buckets are what you eat or what to eat, which, 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 which here's what's crazy about this, okay? The what to eat bucket um, is like you could go online. So if you're a, a newbie and a beginner, you could literally go online and research that and in 14 days know the things that you need to know. Really, meaning calories, and I'll touch on this in a second, right? Like calories, macros, um, just understanding of the X's and O's, you know, foods to eat that once again, you know, what are, what are probably some better foods to eat in line with your goals? Um, also understanding that like you can eat whatever foods you want, that they're not evil, they're not bad. Um, but you know, you could, you could dive in for two weeks and be like, oh man, I got a pretty good grasp of what to eat, right? You wouldn't have to go and dive deeper and be like, man, I really don't know what to eat. And that is unfortunately where still majority of the focus, like even in nutrition coaching goes. Um, whereas very few people, not enough, not enough. Let me just say that. There's a, a lot of incredible coaches out there. Talk about how to eat. And that's where, you know, I should say how you eat. Okay. So it's what you eat and how you eat it. And the, the how you eat it is where the majority of change and results happen and the thing that you really want to focus on. So I am, you know, I'm an agnostic about nutrition, meaning, you know, we, we are here at Vigor Ground, uh, you know, period, meaning we're not, you know, keto or paleo or vegan or uh, uh, I would say carnivore or anything else for that matter. We're just principle based and like what are, you know, uh, results based, principle based. Obviously, there's some principles to quality. Uh, I would say to, to let's just let's call it this way. There's a line that runs across if any, you know, diet that you looked at that we have things that, that are in common, you know, whether it's more mindful and aware eating, whether it's, you know, if you're trying to lose weight is eating less calories than you're uh, burning, right, than you're using. Um, and so that way you have weight loss. And of course, there's a lot of like stuff that we'll talk about there and we'll touch on that in a second. Then there's, you know, the whole unprocessed foods. So you're getting your micronutrients in as well. Uh, so, you know, those are, you know, we also understand that recovery is important. We understand that people that exercise uh, have better results, uh, like lowering stress levels, sleep. Sleep is a massive. There's been so many studies on sleep. Now, I'll probably mention some of them uh, of how important it is. But um, actually, I'm going to pull up, you know, sometimes, like I said, I got my, I got my notes in front of me and um, I'll pull up. I'll pull up some notes from uh, things that I had marked down to give you guys some, let's see, some data. So you'll, you'll see me kind of wavering off, but that's why I said that it's like um, the masterclass uh, part of this um, because I want to, I want to dive into some of this stuff. Let's see, going through some notes right here. I'll find it, but like I had, I had some notes on sleep and I'll come, I'll come back to it, but because I think it's important to kind of mention these things. But like there's there's basically things that run through, right? 
uh, all these different diets are like, hey, we've like we've learned from what works, and those are the principles, right? We t- we stick to the principles. But what I'm going to dive into more today, um, I'm going to touch just a little bit on the what, but what I'm going to dive more in today is is the how, right? The how you eat and the coaching side of it. You know, whether it's like you coaching yourself or it's like you coaching somebody else. Either way, like this, the insights will be very very helpful. And so, first of all, like you know, if you look at the what, and I'm not going to dive into the what much, and here's why not, right? Because first of all, uh, you know, how would you cal- like? There's different ways that you can calculate it. Some that are a little more complex. Some that are a little simpler um, on calculating how many calories you should be eating per day, right? And like. The really simple one is, you know, uh, is going if you want to have like a it's not aggressive fat loss, but like, for instance, fat loss that's um, slow and slower and consistent. I don't want to say slow. That's that's wrong. But just consist more consistent, not as aggressive. Right. Like you'd go body weight times 12 calories. So your body weight times 12 calories. Right. If you wanted to go more aggressive, you'd go 10 calories per pound of body weight. Right. So I'm 200, 200 pounds. And I wanted to go and lose some uh, body fat, weight, I'd go, you know, times 12, which would be 2,400 calories per day. If I want to be more aggressive, I'd go 10 calories, which is 2,000, right? Now, of course, once this is not like set in stone. Why not? Because we have to look at all these other factors. Has that person, you know, gained and lost a lot of weight throughout the years? Um, you know, do, do they have some, uh, you know, metabolic adaptation? Do I have a lot of metabolic adaptation? Like what's going on with them? We have to investigate. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that and the how part. Um, but those are some of the simple calculations, right? Like when somebody comes to, to vigor a super simple one on if they, you know, if they're kind of, uh, like skinnier person, um, and they have a fast metabolism and they, you know, they want to put on weight and have had a tough time putting on weight, you know, we'll say, Hey, 16, you know, body weight times 16 plus 250. That's where I start off with. Like, it's a pretty good starting point. So if somebody's, you know, I'll use the number 200 just cause it's an easy number, obviously to, to work around, um, so that would be 200 times 16. That's 3,200 calories. And then we'd bump up another 250. So that's 3,450. They're there. And then, you know, we'd have them eat, like I said, a specific type of, of diet with what they like and whatnot. And we'd, we'd kind of go and individualize that. And what we'd see and we'd adjust, right? Are they putting on weight? Are they putting on weight too fast, right? If they're putting on weight too fast, we'd probably slow it down and cut it down a little bit. Because if you're gaining more than, you know, I'd say a pound a week, uh, now there might be a little bit too much body fat that's going on, right? That's this being added to the muscle. So, right. But once again, you could look this up on Google, you know, there's BMR, which is your, you know, uh, calculators, like your basal metabolic rate calculators. And this is how like one of the, um, kind of more kind of appropriate calculations for it goes, right? You take your BMR and once again, go to Google, put in BMR calculator, your basal metabolic rate calculator, you know, ask you for like height, weight, all that good stuff. And then we like, multiply it by activity level right and so in this case like if you're sedentary right you'd you'd multiply your uh, bmr the number that you get for your basal metabolic rate times 1.2 if you're lightly active so that would be light exercise sports one to three days a week you'd go to 1.375 if you're moderately active that's moderate exercise sports three to five days a week you're, you'd go BMR times 1.55. If you're very active, so that's like hard exercise and sports five to seven days a week, right? So I would put myself in a very active category, for instance. I would go my basal metabolic rate times 
And if you're like extra active, right? So that's very hard exercise in sports and a physical job. So that might be, uh, you know, if you're, for instance, a uh, some type of factory worker that carries stuff around like construction, right? We have a very active job, like you're doing physical activity. So that, you know, extra active is very hard exercise, sports and physical job, uh, or two times a day training. So athletes, somebody super active, you know, it would be their BMR times 1.9. Um, you know, it's like before you do any of the calculations, which is the goal, not the goal of this podcast for you to start calculating the crap out of this, because you can do that in your free time. You can, you can look this up. Um, you know, just be honest with yourself, right? Don't use the numbers for, uh, you know, don't use the numbers for one to three days of training per week if you're in the gym six days a week, which is what we see a lot too, right? Like just actually doing too low of a numbers. Um, because assuming it'll, it'll give you less calories leading to more weight loss, but maybe, maybe the weight loss that you don't, like too much weight loss, right? Like you're going to be losing uh, muscle with it. But the point of that being like to zoom back out, like, that's easy. Like you can look that up, BMR, calculate your calories. Um, now, you know, sometimes, like I said, if you've, if you're a person that's been on a diet many a times, like, I don't know, five or six times, uh, which actually is the average for, for women, it, um, like gaining and losing weight, uh, it, the average in a lifetime, um, if I'm not mistaken, was 7.2 and the American average is like 5.8. So, you know, a lot of people will actually have gained and lost weight. And then those numbers might not fit, which is where obviously a coach that has been, you know, has experience with things like this definitely comes into play because now you, your calories might have to start lower. And, and this is where, you know, the what comes in. And even the what, like I said, everybody's an individual because you got to look at like, man, if somebody's sleeping very little, um, you know, they've done multiple diets. And, you know, super high stress job, right? Uh, activity levels, this, that, and the other. Like, we're going to see a lot of different things happening. And we know just from, from the fact that, like, if you take two identical twins and put them on the exact, which, so we're talking about same genetics, right? We put them on the same diet, exactly the same, they're going to get different results. Because of all these different factors, like, by, you know, environmental factors, too. Like, their previous history, their... Um, you know, who they're around, you know, their stress levels, their recovery, their sleep, uh, training history, uh, you know, you name it, right? Like, so if two completely identical DNAs will have different results on the same diet, you best believe that, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't work off a of cookie cutter stuff and like, hey, here's meal plans for everybody, right? Um, now, maybe that works the first time, but like, it just stops working, right? It just stops working. And so, you know, with that said, the what part of it, you know, we just kind of went what went over the calorie part of like how you set it at least somewhat generically, but it's a good starting point. And then you have the macro part and like on a macronutrient part, um, you know, put it this way on a macronutrient part. Think of it this way, um, you know, in everybody that's that, almost in every kind of uh, bucket of, of diets, like most people will say that that you have to set your protein, which I agree with. Um, what I mean by that is like protein is insanely important, right? So you're, and look, we could go over these numbers like crazy, but like, you know, 0.7 to one gram per pound of body weight is like kind of where we shoot for, uh, for men and women, uh, sometimes a little bit more depending, depending on stuff. But like if I'm 205 pounds, you know, I should be about 205 grams of protein 
uh, per day. And like I said, that number varies a little bit, but you want to set it somewhere between like that 0.7 to 1.1, 1.2 sometimes. Um, and that's fixed for every eye. Like you want to keep that up. Um, where the carbs and the fat, it depends. Actually, it depends mostly, I would say, on what do you prefer, right? Because there's a lot of talk about, well, if you like this and like that, and um, you know, you should go this way. But what we know is, like, this is what we know. If we look at the pyramid, right, and what's important. So if we look at the, like, the nutrition pyramid, we know the most important is energy balance. We just talked about that, like calories, okay? The second part is micronutrients, okay? So this is where we talk about, uh, sorry, the macronutrients, right? So this is where we talk about your, your, your protein, your fats, and your carbs, um, but it could be any, like, it doesn't have to be a specific one. We know we got to set protein and then carbs and, and fat kind of alternate based on what you want, what you prefer under that it's micronutrients, right? So we got to get the micronutrients in. Um, they're actually very important. I'd, I'd actually level them out maybe with macronutrients. But, uh, what I mean by that is like, Hey, if you're in def deficient in certain things, your body's not going to function well. Um, and you're gonna have some issues. Right from there, it's like nutrient timing where it really doesn't matter that much. I mean, it matters, you know, where you start getting into like the pro sports stuff and, you know, things of that nature. But otherwise, you know, it's not something that you you really want to focus on like crazy, um, especially with somebody that's just, you know, I would say looking for body composition changes. They're not a physique competitor, bodybuilding competitor, or anything like that. Um, and then at the top is like or say at the bottom really is supplements. Right. Where I think supplements are. They're not unimportant. Like we just want to make sure that we supplement for the main nutrition and we, we, we look at our deficiencies, right? But underlying that whole pyramid is behavior and lifestyle, right? That's the most important behavior and lifestyle. Like, so if you cannot be consistent, if you can't stick to it, right? If you can't have the consistency and adherence to it, then it's all irrelevant. And which is, which then brings us to, you know, back to macros where we talked about, which means that, Hey, if you like prefer carbs, cool. Like, let's let's have more carbs in your diet, right? Um, if you prefer more fat, cool. Have more fat in your diet, right? Um, if you kind of want it to be a little bit leveled out, like zonish, cool. That works too. Um, but most of the time, people prefer one or another, and like that's the route that we'll 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 kind of go and take and really kind of investigate through through conversation, right? But the point of that is that like now we have the what, and then could we dig deeper into the what? Sure, sure we could, but like. This is where people focus on, and I said, like, you could go online and, like, find out the what and really have that stuff down, right? What I want to talk about more is the how. And the how is where, you know, it, people just don't talk about it enough. And I've talked about it, but, like, I want to dig into it more. And if, if I repeat myself about certain things, that's cool, right? Because that, put it this way, um, it's cool from a standpoint of, like, like we got, we got to think of it this way. Okay. Like we have to figure out what's going to work for this person. And the way that you break that down. Okay. Is like this. You have a goal. Like everybody has a goal that when it, when it comes to nutrition, lose weight, build muscle, improve performance. Sometimes there's multiple things. And at the end of the day, like you got to break that goal into skills, right? There's a certain level of skill sets, um, that you need to achieve that goal. And there's a lot of emphasis on goal setting these days, right? And we're, we're, like, we're, we're, think about this. Everywhere you go, you're taught to think about what we want to accomplish, the goal, right? Then we're supposed to make it specific, measurable, attainable, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you've heard of SMART goals before, right? 
But what, what happens once you're done with that, right? When we've set the ultimate goal, right? What, what happens then? And for most people, the answer is like not that much. That's because goals aren't achieved through mere act of like, like setting good goals. Like just because you set good goals or even great goals doesn't mean you're going to achieve them. I mean, most people don't achieve their goals, right? And tr like I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this that goals are not achieved through sheer force of will, no matter what anybody says. And what's been some in, in fascinating studies is that uh, they, they found that people that are the most successful with goal setting uh, and goal achieving actually have the least amount of, uh, like, they use the least amount of willpower. Think about that. That's, that's powerful, right? Because they create environments and situations, circumstances for themselves that they have to use the least amount of willpower, right? They're, they're more, um, they basically adhere to habits and they understand the science of habits, right? So if it's not rational, like thinking brain power, and it's not, not white knuckled willpower, then what is it? Well, here's the thing. Studies have shown that goal achievement only happens reliably when you do two things. First, you break down the thing that you want to do, your goal, into specific aptitudes, which is skills, right? Just like the sciencey, nerdy word for skills, right? So you basically got to break down the goal into skills that you need to develop. So if I'm, if I'm a basketball player and I'm like, I want to be great at basketball. Okay, what are the skills that, that I need? Well, I need to be able to ha have quality ball handling drills, right? Like I have to be able to dribble well and like protect the ball and like be able to get around. Okay, cool. I need to be able to shoot. You know, I need to be able to shoot, uh, you know, three throws, three-point mid-range shot, right? Those are all the different skills. I need to be able to pass, right? So for instance, I'm just making shit up right now. I mean, obviously this is true, but making a shit up as far as I need to be able to dribble, I need to be able to uh, uh, shoot the ball and I need to be able to pass, right? So cool. Those are the skills. All right. But then, so that's one. First, you break down the thing you want to do, your goal into specific skills. And then second, you build those skills through strategic daily actions, right? Those are your practices. Like now this is so familiar to me because guess what I did like for 15 years of my life, it was daily practice, dribbling the basketball, you know, and like in Europe, it's like, man, you drill the crap out of fundamentals and basics. Like we're talking the chair and you're crossing over left and right in between the legs and behind the back and like nonstop over and over and over again. And then the coach is correcting you and like putting, uh, I would say some tactile and tactical feedback so that you do it better. You know, whether it's like a broomstick and it's like, you got to go below the broomstick and then he's got people guarding you and trying to reach all the time and foul you and you still got to protect the ball. Right. Those are the daily practices. Right. And so in nutrition, you have to do the same thing. It's, it's not, it's not about willpower. It's about skill power. And like this, you know, as I go through this, like I'm, I'm going to dive into a lot of the coaching stuff. Like, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how long this one goes, but guys, like I said, I wanted to do somewhat of a masterclass here where you're listening to this and it's making sense to you and to, you know, whether, like I said, you're somebody trying to change your diet or it's a coach that's helping somebody change their diet. Right. So the formula pretty much looks like this practice daily to build skills and then build skills to achieve goals. That's really what it's all about. Now, I'm, I'm going to go deeper and, and give you guys more stuff, right? But the, the aha moment is that, like, if you're doing daily practices to build skills, like, you're on the right track. If you're just setting goals and going, like, you know, like, I want to, you know, I want to gain, uh, lose this much weight. Cool. Set calories, set macros, go. You know, like, but where are your, where are your skills? Do you have the skill sets to do that, right? But if you do the above two that I talked about, you know, you if you do this well and you accomplish your goals more quickly, would let you, you'll accomplish your goals quicker you will but with less effort which is you know which is 
like mo this is kind of like the clickbaity, right? Like, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm going to get to my goals faster with less effort and maintain my results. Come on, right? And, and the goal is basically to be a master of this process. So, you know, let's, I took the basketball example, but let's look at a weight loss example, right? So if your goal, let's say your goal is to lose weight. Like, you know that to lose weight, you'll need to be, eat better consistently. I mean, that's kind of like one of those like, aha, for sure. I know, I know that, right? So that's your real goal. Eat better consistently, right? So and we can, you know, you can arbitrarily put in whatever number you want. I want to lose 40 pounds. Okay, cool. So to do that, I need to eat better consistently. Okay, so what's your real goal? Eat better consistently. But you don't have the skills to do it just yet. So you have to break it down into skills, okay? So which skills are required to eat better consistently? Um, well, there's a number of them. Like, I, I love the PN model. Like I said, I'm probably going to throw in some of my own. I don't say the own. None of them are my own. I all learned it and experienced it from doing this for a long time. But, like, maybe it'll be a little bit jumbled by how I see it, right? But um, hunger and appetite awareness are huge, right? And I would say probably one of the most important skills for making progress. But the thing is, right, if I say that, like, you need to build a skill of hunger and appetite awareness, it like you don't it doesn't scream action, meaning how do I do that? What's the act like that's not totally actionable. So you have to break it down into practices. And like PN has a practice is called, you know, eating slowly, which is just one of the practices. Right. Um, and another one that's very kind of say it's the neighbor of eating slowly and it's eating until satisfied and not stuffed. Right. And those two practices will build a hunger and appetite awareness. So eating slowly, right, uh, for instance, would be things like set the timer. How fast are you eating, right? Meaning, are you, like, th actually, this is just awareness of this, right? Notice how these two get together because if you started timing how long you eat your meals, it'll probably, like, freak you out because you eat them so fast, okay? And, like, we know the brain, right? We know that the brain, or should I say that, you know, how the, the gut communicates with the brain it takes about 20 minutes for those satiety signals to come through right so when you eat a meal in five six seven minutes ten minutes like your brain hasn't even got through to it hasn't got to you, through to your brain that you're full so that's why you can keep eating and you can gorge and you can be stuffed right so eating slowly like the practice of eating slowly we could do things like set a timer you know and it's like hey if it takes you seven minutes to eat a meal how about work now to get to nine minutes or ten or, or even eight just slower right so just the awareness of it will help you out. And the just the awareness of it will actually make you eat slower. And just that in itself will actually get, help you get results. Now, another one is like, hey, take a bite of food, put your fork down, chew through it, and then only take the next bite of food after you've done that. And you might be like, come on. Like, really? Um, but, like, this like this is the reality. Like, this is the stuff that works. And it works with hundreds of thousands of people, right? Like, I like to study stuff that's worked, you know, in the real world and is backed by science. But let's get back to the practices, right? So we, I, I broke down an eating slowly practice. And then you have eating until satisfied and not stuffed. So if you had a, you know, percent of, like percentage scale, obviously 0 to 100%. And 80 was, 80% 80, well, was satisfied. You know, 100% is, you know, 80% 80, 80 is satisfied. 90% is full and 110% is stuffed, right? Like after each meal, you could write down like, hey, where are you on a scale, like on a zero to 100 um, percent scale, right? And that might be, like I said, a, a practice that you do. You just write that in the journal, for instance, right? And those two, and like I could go into more practices, um, 
<coughs> I could go into more practices with that. But um, in this case, I'm just going to give you some because we got a, a bunch to cover. So, and you could do, here's the thing, right? You could do each practice for a couple weeks. So you do eating slowly for a couple weeks and you do uh, eating until satisfied and that stuff for a couple weeks. So that might be four weeks, but it might not be that long, right? There is no kind of golden rule. These are just kind of good kind of guidelines. And I promise you, you know, and we've done this so many different times. If we choose, remember, because it doesn't mean that for every client, those are going to be the first practices. Maybe the first practice will be getting enough protein in with every meal, right? And then we'll say like, well, you can either do, you know, if, you, if, if you're cool with macros and stuff, then, you know, 30 to 40 grams of protein per meal. Like if you're going to do four meals a day, cool, then let's determine this, right? And obviously protein is, fills you up more, has higher satiety rating. Um, obviously, we just talked about how it's one of the main macronutrients that we want to get in. Uh, it's more filling. It's a high, it has a high thermic effect of food, so you burn more calories digesting protein. So it's great if you want to lose weight and keep keep the muscles. So it's a win win. So maybe that's going to be the first, um, you know, the habit that we work on and the daily practice that we work on, right? It's not always going to be these. Like we we determine based on the individual, but. Once again, we're going to determine a practice that we know exactly what needs to happen for a check mark to be there. And, you know, then we can go like, hey, you know, have you been compliant with this? And if they have, then we're going to build on it. If it was really hard for them to do, maybe we're going to make it a little easier and go like, hey, just the first two meals of the day have enough protein. Right. I hope you see how this breaks down and like how everything can be very, very individualized. Right. But in, in this case, in, you know, over the course of a month, the daily practice of like, for instance, eating slowly. Uh, and eating until satisfied, not stuffed, or maybe, like I said, getting enough protein in, we build the skill of better hunger and appetite awareness. And then that is one of the necessary skills to eating better consistently, right? I hope you see that, like, how this, uh, you know, how this works, okay? And you could do this. What's so cool about this is that you could do this with anything. Uh, if you guys hear a little bit of rustling, it's because I'm just taking my, my hoodie off. Because I'm sweating bullets getting so into this uh, nutrition right now. So you guys know. So, so from here, but here's the thing, right? So if you could do that formula for anything, right? Meaning the formula of set goal, figure out the skills that you need, and then break it down into daily practices, and then break down those daily practices into, um, like, you know, how long are you going to be doing them for? And for us, it's like, you know, we try to get people to about 80% compliant, you know, 90 even better, but like 80 to 90% compliance. So can you do, you know, this task, this daily practice for the next, for instance, two weeks, 10 days, three weeks, 90% of the time or 80% of the time at least before we build on it, right? So if you're only 50% compliant, that means that you're not consistent. If you're not consistent, we can't move you on to the next step, right? Because it's the same thing, like in math, like if you don't know how to do algebra, then, you know, uh, uh, then you're not, you know, if you can't do one plus one, then it's gonna be hard for us to move forward to like doing a square root of something, right? Like we have to build on these blocks. And actually that brings me to, uh, you know, this 5S formula that PN created that I love. So when we break skills down into practices, like each practice has to have these five S's, right? It has to be simple. So remember, the, the, the best practices are small daily actions that can be done in the context of real life, period. Like if you know, if you ask your, your client on a scale of one to 10, I've talked about this question over and over and over. Actually, it's a question you should ask yourself is on a scale of one to 10 or zero to 10, how confident do you feel that you could do this practice every day? Uh, and then, you know, for the next two weeks, a week, 
whatever, whatever time you determine, right? And here's the thing, like the answer should be nine or 10, meaning if they say nine or 10, they're confident they can do it. And then that's great. Like we're going to stick with that, right? If anything lower than that, the practice is usually too challenging or, or intimidating. It could be one or the other, right? There, there's a lot of reasons that that could happen. And then from there, we got to do one of two things. We got to ask the question of like, okay, well, what would get you to a nine or 10 and see if we can actually shift that to a nine or 10 or many a times we'll make it simpler, right? We'll make the action daily practice simpler until they say nine or 10 guys, just to understand, like this is behavior change science. Um, you know, just if you're like, well, I'm a five or six, but I'm going to, I'm going to really push and, you know, will it through and I'm a five, but like my coach is going to make me accountable. You're really kind of fighting an uphill battle. And not only that, like you got kettlebells strapped to your ankles. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Like you're making it harder for yourself than it needs to be because you could actually get way better results with a more strategic, simpler action. But anyway, that's, that's, that's the first S of the five S's. It's simple. Number, the second S is segmental. So most goals are too big. They're too complicated to try for, you know, to do in one go in one big chunk. So, and most skills are the same way. So you got to break them down into like clear, defined, and organized segments, right? Just like when learning, like teaching complex exercises, like you need to chunk bigger things down into their like components, into their smaller parts, right? It's like to write a book, you know, you get up every day and you write for 15 minutes, right? And in, in a year and a half, whatever, you'll write a book, right? But it's like, if you sit down to write a book, you're going to freak out. Trust me, <laughs> been there, done that, right? Um, so it's got to be segmental, Number three, the third S is sequential, right? So breaking things down into segments is great, but you also have to like to practice those segments in the right order. If you do, you know, thing five before thing two, you're just less likely to make it happen, period, right? So start with thing one, then do thing two, then do thing three, and so on, right? Do the right things in the right order, and, and then your success is a reliable outcome. It's kind of like, you know, if you're teaching the barbell snatch, um, you know, what do you, do you teach to clean first? No, like first somebody has to be able to do a hinge, right? Because the hinge from the floor to deadlift is the first part of that movement, right? Then the second part of that movement is going to be how do we get that from, from I would say, that position to overhead. And well, we got to break that down and go, now we're going to do a, a, a high pull, right? We got to get a, or even like a explosive shrug. And from there, a high pull. And then from high pull to clean position, Right. And then from there, we got to teach the press and then we got to teach the overhead squat, right? So you can see how like all those things have to go sequentially in place. And, you know, a lot of times if you think about what I was just talking about earlier when it comes to nutrition, where somebody is, uh, you know, like, oh, okay, cool. What's my calories and macros? Well, look, you could have looked that up in five minutes and figured that out, right? Uh, but that's not a sequential thing. Like, okay, now we got the goal. We got what skills do we need to achieve that? Okay, cool. We need to eat less, right? Okay, cool. What do we need to do that? Notice, like we got to reverse engineer it and then build back that sequential back into it, right? So we got simple, segmental. We got sequential. The fourth S is strategic, right? So think this process sounds slow. Um, don't think of it as slow. I actually don't use that word at all because sometimes it can be, some, I don't know, like sound condescending, right? Like it's like, Hey, hey, Luca, you know, we're going to start slow. And you're like, get the, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. Right. I know, but we're going to start slow. And, you know, we're going to go slow to your goals. We're going to go slow. <laughs> you know, And of course, the last thing a person wants to, 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 to hear is like, we're going to go slowly towards your goals. 
But if we, but but what if we go strategically to, towards your goals, right? The fact is, if you practice, if you practice these daily practices in a strategic way, the whole process goes quicker. This is what's so crazy, guys. Like, listen, you know, you're, you're scared of writing. Okay, write for five to ten minutes a day. Write for five minutes a day, seven days a week. You write for thirty-five minutes that week, and you write for over two hours in that month, right? Now, if you try to r- sit down and write for two hours in a whole month, you probably won't write for ten minutes, right? That's the difference between big chunks or strategic, right? Simple, sequential, strategic, okay? Like, and, you know, so that's the, and and segmental, right? You got to think of that way. So strategic practices addresses things that's in your way right now, right? Focus on that one thing and only that one thing. And that's how one of the difficult processes will become faster, um, very, very, very important. I, and I'll tell it like this. I was straight up in my own life right now. Like there's so much on my plate and I have to do these five S strategies. You know, even like coming into the gym in the morning and going like, hey, my first two hours, here are these little simple things that are sequential, strategic, segmental um, that are going to work on gym stuff. And it's like, hey, did I, you know, uh, did I check in on who's who's um, uh, a new lead for the 30 day trial? Who's even a lead that hasn't come com- come in yet? Okay, who do I need to check this, that, in with the other? Like these small, it, I, I call myself these strategic, <laughs> like not slow or small, it's strategic uh, steps, right? And it's how beco- a difficult process can become a lot easier. And like, man, when you stack it up, when you get a year worth of, or three months, six months worth of stuff like this done, man, it moves the needle forward so crazy. It, you know, it, it's, it's mind boggling, right? Um, and the last S is supported, right? Practice works best when they're supported by some form of teaching, coaching, mentorship, accountability, right? And um, I'll touch on this. I'll touch on this more, obviously. I mean, this is part of what I'm really kind of doing with this master class, right? And um, so, you know, breaking this down, guys, like, think of it this way. Pick a goal you'd like to achieve, brainstorm the, uh, the key skills needed for that goal, and then brainstorm which practices would help develop those skills. You could do that with anything. Like this is actually just a model of behavior change that will help you. Um, I mean, I don't know, like you, you know, uh, get 30 new leads in the gym, right? Okay, your goal. Cool. What's the skills that you need for that? And it might be like, well, marketing, you know, or guerrilla marketing or, okay, cool. To develop that skill, what do I need to do as a daily practice? You know, maybe write an organic post on Facebook or shoot a video, right? Because video works really well right now. So, um, you know, so so to think of that model because, like, I know I'm talking about nutrition, but it's become a really powerful thing for me to just like really think laterally on this, right? And and just know, okay, so I'm I'm gonna touch on this whole um, process of when you need support, and like this is the furthest from like the pitch, but like my whole life I've had coaches. Uh, I I take that back. I said my whole life I've had coaches. I guess if my my parents were coaches when I was you know one day old, but uh, which which is actually the case. Like they wouldn't mentor me, right? But for, for uh, let's say my career in fitness, like pretty much for 13, 14 years, I've had coaches or been in mentorship, right? So, but here's the deal. Like when you need support, right? If if you're ridiculously motivate, motivated and relentlessly tenacious, right? And you're just on fire, like you might be able to figure this stuff out and, and be a lone ranger and, you know, kind of work your way towards your goals. Maybe, maybe, right? Uh, and I'll say maybe because I feel like I'm I'm pretty crazy, and fired up about the things I'm purposeful about. And, you know, I am relentlessly, like, my resolve is, is pretty pretty out there, right? And guess what? I've needed support and continue to need support in many areas of my life, 
right? So in my experience, though, most people need some amount of coaching and support, and that's okay. It's not a sign of weakness or incompetence. In fact, it's the way that most humans do things, right? It's, it's how we learn how to read, write, walk, talk, uh, how we learn to do a whatever job, right, and whatever career and improve professionally. It's how we become better parents. We come become better partners in a relationship. It's how we become better teammates. It's how we grow as human beings with coaching, with support, with accountability, right? The individualist hero who accomplishes big things all by themselves is a myth. Arnold said, like, there is no self-made man. And, you know, I, I almost want to uh, go go and read, um, I would say, this uh, uh, kind of chunk of that, that Arnold wrote for Franco Colombo, which will probably actually make me cry right now if I read it. I get emotional just thinking about it. Um, about how, like, uh, Franco Colombo was his best friend and his mentor and, you know, did so much for him and, and helped him become who he is, right? So, no, like, the individualist hero who accomplishes big things is a myth. I don't care what you say, right? And I could, I could sit here and be like, you know, but, like, I work so hard. But, like, man, there were so many people in my life that have helped me become who I am uh, that, I, I, you know, I, I don't believe that and, and believe in that anymore, Right? But on the other hand, right, like the, the following ingredients do breed success. Encouragement during the courage phase. And I, if you, you know, the courage phase is the gap between committing to something and possessing, like having the skills to accomplish it, right? At this moment, you're committed, but you're not capable, right? And then moving forward takes courage because it's, it's like, man, how do I move forward but when I don't know how to do this, okay? And if you feel like that about something, man, you have, you're in a courage phase, and it's times like this, it's nice to like kind of borrow, rub courage from somebody else, a coach, a mentor, a group, a mastermind, uh, you know, whatever it may be, who's been through the process themselves, right? I mean, we do that, one, first of all, like we do that big reference to performance uh, in our coaching programs and everything that we do, because that's the kind of support when, you know, that, that you need via coaches, mentors, and, you know, workshop leaders and um, you know, I would say anything in that nature that helps you move forward. It's the, it's the same thing that we do in, uh, you know, me and Krebs are doing a Yo Grow Your Gym program where we help fitness business coaches and gym owners and anybody who wants to improve their business in the fitness industry, that's what we do, right? Um, another thing that the ingredient, right? So if you think about this, uh, <laughs> I'll say goulash because I'm from Slovenia. We used to eat goulash growing up. or milk and polenta. That's that blue-collar communist build muscle, you know, headbutt the wall and break through it type of food, right? Um, don't, make, don't make fun of it. So this is, this is the uh, goulash of success recipe, all right? So I just said encouraging during the courage phase. That's one of the recipes, the ingredients, the one, one ingredients, right? Um, I would say accountability, right? We all know accountability, like regularly checking in with someone is, is, is important because the social commitment helps us stick with what we started. But Here's the thing. Did you know that accountability works best if it happens at regular and expected times? Whether it's through an app, group, one-on-one, accountability, it should, it should always have a cadence. Now, uh, you know, I've made this mistake. Like, I, I, I like to, like, you know, kind of talk about this. And, and when I look at, actually, I had a conversation yesterday with a friend, friend and mentor. It just makes me see things from a different standpoint when I get frustrated. Uh, and I realized that for the certain areas that I wanted to have more accountability and be accountable, like have other people be accountable to me and me be accountable to others. And I realized, man, I don't, I don't have as much cadence, right? I would be, I would, I would have people be accountable, but it wasn't, the cadence wasn't there, right? 
So that is super powerful, super powerful, guys, right? And the cadence has to be there and it has to be regular at a certain time, right? So uh, for instance, like in, in, I mean, in our current like business coaching program, right? Check-in is going to happen once. So actually there's twice a week because we have some automation, but like it's personal, everything's personal. Uh, but it's actually once a week to twice a week. And it's uh, through workplace and, and this whole system that we've built. Um, you know, if you're working with a personal coach, like our nutrition coaching and, and like I said, our training, like it's more, I mean, like for somebody who's training with us two times a week, three times a week, four times a week, it's that many times a week that you're getting that accountability, right? And interesting fact, it, you know, in a number of surveys with tens and tens and tens of thousands of people, over 80% of people racked, ranked accountability racked. See, I'm, I'm in my fitness mind right now. Racked away. Um, <laughs> ranked accountability as very important part of getting in shape. However, nearly 80% of those same folks slash clients, they didn't have a way of keeping themselves accountable. And that's why we recommend coaching, right? So we just covered two ingredients, encouragement during the courage phase, accountability. Number three, respect the coach. Right, most people don't want an, like th this is what you think that you want. Most people don't want an expert; they want a guide, a sherpa, a coach, someone they can trust and, and that they respect. And you know, m contrary to belief, right, accountability is not yelling in somebody's face twenty four seven. Right, it's not what most people want. They don't want you know somebody yelling in their face twenty four seven. That's not what coaching is. They just want confidence of knowing that somebody is there if they need them, right? And so, I figure that's why I make world class coaches available to our clients pretty much full-time. I mean, if you're doing semi-private coaching, like you can reach out to your coach, right? And it's very a la, a la carte, meaning a la carte, like we'll ask people like, hey, how do they want to be communicated with? So know that, you know, that that's a key, a respect to coach. Another ingredient is positive progress focus, right? And unfortunately, most of, you know, I, I wouldn't say, let, let's just say most of the health and wellness and coaching industry too. When I say coaching industry, that could be like life coaching, business, is that, right? Hasn't gotten this memo yet. So, uh, you know, comparing yourself to some superhero ideal actually doesn't work. It actually doesn't work. And I love superheroes. I fucking love superheroes. But it, like a lot of times it makes people feel inadequate, right? Like you'll never get there, you know, there, like where they're at, right? Um, and that's why it's important to just seek out and like shine a light on all the positive progress, right? Um, and, and a lot of bonus points for rewarding and celebrating when that progress happens, right? And, you know, which we, we do our best and or should I say like we're always trying to improve this. I, I want to always say that like, hey, there's a lot of things that we need to constantly work on. But uh, in, our, in our programs, we, we're relentlessly looking for this type of thing, right? Sometimes that means, um, you know, sometimes that could mean like, look, it could mean progress photo it could mean weight loss it could mean uh you know the behavior stuff like hey you made it into the gym this many times um but the thing is is like most of the time we want to track unconventional things that point to real progress that the client's making so even if the, if, the, if the client's not seeing physical results yes if they're showing up good things are happening right if they're if they're ticking off the box in certain behavior good things are happening right if they went for you know got their ten thousand steps in that day good things are happening right if they got their protein with every meal that great good things are happening if they went uh, for yoga instead of glass of you know multiple glasses of wine, but they went to yoga with their friend, good things are happening. So by identifying and celebrating that stuff, you know, the behavior, the physical progress will follow. Okay. Um, another ingredient is proactive obstacle identif identification. I know that's like a very 
like you know like being like super geeky coachy but um but but here's the thing like not everything is uh you and high five and yay you know like it's, it's just not um you know sometimes real real shit comes up real challenges come up that's just the fact of life and when when it does like there's strategies that are required to move past these obstacles they're just gonna happen right so and let's be real, like I always, you know, I don't even like calling problems problems anymore. I just call them puzzles because the brain wants to solve a puzzle. And honestly, what's better than solving a problem? I'm, you know, I always say like hey, in life, if you're able to solve problems, you'll be fine. Meaning like you'll be very valuable, right? So avoiding that problem, you know, is, is but the question is what was better than solving a problem is avoiding it in the first place, right? Uh, and, and that's what, you know, coaching and, and the right groups of people around you can do because, basically like a great coach can give you a heads up like in advance about what they're likely to come up against because they've seen it like i mean you know we have trained thousands and thousands and thousands of clients i've personally coached thousands of clients myself i've seen these scenarios like come up so many times now that doesn't mean that you just assume but it means that you have a lot of frameworks to to like you kind of have this um it's like the you know it's the oracle in the matrix like she knows what's going to happen right i'm the oracle in the matrix i see code <laughs> so but, you know, that, that way clients, like, know what problems to look out for, and they're just less likely to get derailed, right? Like, it's just you're really helping them out kind of, um, I guess it's, it's, it's like see the future, work backwards, do the right stuff before it happens, right? Um, and the, one of the last ingredients is, like, helping when you're stuck. You know, even with the best daily practices, with on, ongoing progress tracking, with accountability, with proactive obstacle identification, with, you know, all of those great things and quality environments like clients will still get stuck like you'll still get stuck and that's just what when an expert guy can help someone who's been there done that and i always say like and is still doing it right and knows how to navigate this, these waters right um i always say like navigation over inspiration like you don't like when you're stuck inspiring won't get you past that point navigating will right and for us, it's like that's why we, you know, we work so hard to make world-class coaching available, whether it's on the side, you know, especially, uh, like I said, in our gym, uh, we're always pushing to be better coaches, right? Um, and so that's really, really important. Now, you know, another thing that, like, I think that is very important is um, looking back, looking forward. I learned this in a book called The Gap. I think that was Dan Sullivan that wrote it, but it's a business book. But it was this whole idea about the horizon, you know, that like the horizon, you know, if we chase the goals, the horizon never comes, right? Like when you get to the goal, guess what? There's another goal, right? And and then you have this like small satisfaction, right? You have this small kind of like um, satisfaction of like, I got it. Okay, but then there's a new thing, right? And again, you're in the gap. Oh, man, I got to work towards the goal. I got to work towards the goal. When I get to the goal, I'll be happy, right? So this kind of like uh, looking back looking forward was was this thought process of like i want to look back from where i came from and i want to look forward where i'm going and there's five questions that we you know first of all i ask myself actually quite often but that are important to ask your clients but so ask them you know yourself and ask me your clients so uh the, the five questions about your progress so far are what have you put the most effort into during the last couple of weeks right so if you've been showing up even just a little, it means that you've been working on something. So jot that down and remind yourself where your focus and energy has been. It's important. Write it down, right? What have you put the most effort in, into the last few weeks? A couple weeks. What are you the most proud of from the last few weeks? This is so important, right? So here we're looking for daily wins, like having good breakfast or, you know, 
like on your busiest morning, like times when you're usually going crazy, but you had a good breakfast. That's a huge win, right? Or making a, a good eating decision in a tricky situation, like, you know, cafeteria food, all your friends are eating a certain thing, and they're like, hey, you should do this. And and you're like, uh, well, you know what? I'm drinking this smoothie, and then afterwards I'll, I'll eat that. And then you're full, and then you actually don't want to, right? So when you've done something to be proud of, you know, it's time to call it out, okay? So question number three is, how will you high-five yourself for the great work in a healthy way, right? So it's not like, hey, man, I just had a great smoothie, so I'm going to take three shots of whiskey tonight. It's like, nah, don't do that. <laughs> but it's like, hey, maybe, you know what? I, I don't know. Get your, um, how can you celebrate it, right? It could be this really small reward and go, um, I'm going to go, I don't know. I'm going to get my uh, foot massage. Now, listen, you know, I don't think it's like if every time you have a smoothie to, and for um, breakfast instead of something that wasn't, you know, making you reach your goals, you go get a foot massage, you can be broke. But, but I hope you see the point I'm trying to make. Like, reward yourself. It can be really small, right? But you have to acknowledge it, right? So how will you high-five yourself for great work uh, in a healthy way? Question number four is, like, what more would you have liked to accomplish? So this is, like, the looking forward part, right? Every, everyone thinks this kind of stuff, you know, could have, would have, should have. Let's, let's get it down on paper and then let it go. So write down what you wanted to get done but didn't, right? So what didn't you accomplish, right? So... And, and like I said, this should be all written down on paper because it's important because this will like reinforce the things um, as far as looking forward, looking backward. Right. Uh, and last question, what next thing can you do to move past what you think you should have done and keep you moving forward? So think about the next step you can take uh, like right now to stay on track. And this is the thing I say. You don't have to know all the steps. You just have to know the next step. Right. You just have to know the next step. So powerful. And write down the next step. You know, and then, like I said, then you do this drill in a week or two weeks, um, you know, how often you do it. Like, I, I think it's important that you could do this every day, to be honest with you. You really could. Um, and, you know, so once again, it could become a practice because it doesn't take you long, but at least weekly you could do that. Uh, like I said, but you could get to do it more often than that. And if you do, it will be powerful because that looking forward, looking back will keep you out of the anxiety of the future or the stress of how you didn't do something. Um, and these are all powerful coaching skills right so let's you know let's let's take a pause there because um and we're, we're kind of this is guys so just so you know we're like we're digging into we're digging into the how-to's right we're digging into the how-to's how to eat okay now i've mentioned these before i actually did a video for it, it was like a vlog on on a youtube channel but like the six steps of coaching um, and it's like, this is kind of a coaching system, right? And this coaching system, like if you, you could do this yourself, obviously I'm, I'm always like, this is usually your, your, your kind of, uh, what's that, what's that saying? Like, you know, you can't read a label from inside of the bottle, right? Uh, I always tell that people in, in business, right? Sometimes you're the worst person to look at your own business, just like you're the worst person to look at your own, uh, nutrition or lifestyle, whatever. Somebody has to look at it from the outside looking in, but these six steps of coaching, that, that we use as a coaching process is first assess and gather data and it's like identify client goals. So first, the first step, you know, like I said, if you're doing this for yourself first, like what are your goals? Like, and why do those goals matter? You know, I, I mean, like it has to be purposeful because it has to be purposeful and meaningful because here's the deal, right? They're like fundamentally nutrition coaching is about two things. Honestly, any coaching is about two things, right? Number one is helping people change. And then number two is helping them, like, them take meaningful actual action into their own, in, in their own lives, right? And so 
that's backed by this coaching process. So meaningful action means like uh like you have to f- find the goals and the like the reason why those goals matter. Like we call them you know five, six, and seven whys, right? Uh, we dig deeper into. I talked about this before in the, on previous podcasts, right? Finding the deep meaning and meaningful uh, reason why this person wants to change and what you know what what deep anchor is that goal attached to. So we want to assess and gather as much data as possible. I mean, and like I said, look, when, when clients come here, that's everything from movement screening. Like, so if somebody's coming in, uh, and like I said, like, and Theo's taking them through uh, kind of FRC assessment, looking at how their joints work and function. Like, we want to see how they move, where, you know, where are the roadblocks? Like, what we need to work on, right? Why do they have low back pain or possibly some of the reasons we're looking for causes, right? And same thing on nutrition. Like, what are they currently doing? Uh, what are, how they're currently eating, how they're currently sleeping. We want to assess and gather as much da- data as possible when we identify goals. That's our step one. Step two is understanding the client and building what's called building the story. Like, I want to know, like, what brought them here? Like, why are they here? Why do they want to change, right? What, what is the, the pain and the hell that they're in? And, like, what is the, the heaven and kind of the possibility that they want to work towards? Um, and, and build this story, right? I mean, it's very, very important because... Like data just doesn't stand alone, right? You have to make sense of it and put it together in a story that starts to explain your client's situations and needs, right? Um, th- th- okay, look at it this way, right? For instance, if high triglycerides, poor glu- glu- glucose tolerance, uh, crazy job, like crappy sleep, family stress, they-, they aren't just unrelated data points, right? When you put them together, they start to build a story of a client who's de- dealing with probably physical, uh, psychological stressors, um, and, and those things are creating the variety of problems, right? So as a coach, you're also seeking to clarify and understand each client's values, priorities, motivations, goals, perspectives, right? And here's the things that actually, like, you really want to look into, um, which is you want to know what matters most to them right now, right? What matters most to them right now? You want to know how ready, willing, and able they are to make a change, Right, just because they say they want to make a change, it's for you as a coach to assess, you know, how ready, willing, and able they are to make that change. Right. Also, you want to look for any ambivalence or tension they might feel about changing their behaviors. Um, so, give you an example. Right. I want to take time for myself can conflict with my family needs me or I'm so busy busy with work. See, that's ambivalence, right? So they're saying one thing, but then there's another thing, and they're fighting. So if you guys, have, you know, gone through motivational interviewing you'll know this right so i kind of touched a little bit on this like what, what does building the story mean like because it's important that you you know you kind of build this story you can't just jump through the hoops um i like so i even like um this template uh, i got this from pn right but you can create a template of client stories by filling in the blanks as a blank i want to blank so that i can blank for instance as a parent, I want to find a quick and easy nutrition solution so that I can help my whole family eat better without a lot of disruption to our routine, right? Uh, as an ex-athlete, I want my nutrition to improve my recovery uh, and support my training so I, don't, you know, so I can be out of pain, I can be injury-free, uh, I can boost my immune system, I can have lots of energy, and I can dunk on people. That was, I just threw that in there for myself, uh, right? So, so there, like, basically... What you got to do is like put the data together, right? So if we're looking at step one and step two, you know, you put the data together. And like, what? Here, here's the thing: what are some data? Like I, I said, what are some data you can uh, you can you can gather from your clients? Well, it can be you know 
physiological stuff like blood work, t lab tests, digestive function, immunity, HRV, genome, microbiome. And like, look, you're probably not going to do all that stuff, but those are some of the things that you could do. I, obviously, almost all of us do body composition measurements, which, which is height, weight, uh, girth, lean mass. If you got in body, you know, you can do body fat percentage, more precise, DEXA, bone density. And then, you know, you can do other health stuff, which is allergies, food intolerance, you know, med use, uh, other health problems, stuff like that. Functional and, and physical capability. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Like, what's, the, uh, what's their mobility like? Daily life tasks, athletic performance. Do we do certain markers? Like, you know, athletes will do the beep test and a trap bar deadlift and this, that, and the other, right? Um, then we have the psychological state of mind, which is readiness for change, resilience, problem solving. Like, where are they with that? Uh, their environment, lifestyle, social support. You know, do you have a, a social circle that's supporting what they want to do? Family, work hours, demands, travel. Um, and then, of course, goals and desired outcomes, like specific goal weight or body composition change. Like, hey, what, you know, we just had a girl that came in and was like, I have a picture of exactly what I want to look like, right? Uh, well, exactly, but like the type of body that she wants to, uh, to create and build. Um, you know, maybe it's decreased medication usage, improvement, improving performance measures. Uh, a lot of like a lot of what we get and what we work on is improving relationship with food. Right. So you get this objective and subjective indicators. And, you know, from there, like I say, you put all this data together and you synthesize it and you come up with a conclusion and what it means. Right. But this is important because a lot of people skip that. Like people will just come and go like, OK, cool. Like you want to do what? OK, cool. Let's set your calories. Let's set your macros. I got a meal plan or like let's fit. like it's just like skipping through this stuff. Right. And then you're really not helping that person the most. You got you got to understand what makes that client tick and what's, you know, what's most important to them right now. That's what Matt, what's important right now. Right. You got to identify roadblocks and wipe what might be holding them back from change. A great coach always does that. And you have also you have to constantly right, right then and there, but constantly identify bright spots. Right. Things that they're already working on and abilities that they can apply. Like I always say that, like these are the things that are their strengths um, and you want to, you know, you want to bring them to light. And you want to identify what they're capable of doing and understanding right now, right? And identifying like where they're at nutritionally, okay? And from there, step three is creating an action plan and the possible next steps, right? So at, at this stage, you're going to kind of create a hypothesis of what might work effectively like for that person and map out a course of action that works towards the client goals. And remember, like we just talked about the five, the five S's and the next step and, and outlining something for them to do next. Um, and, and this kind of works towards, you know, it's like you create a roster of possible tasks that the client could do right now. And, and you break this larger kind of to do actionable list into smaller steps that your client could potentially do right now. Right. Um, so I like, you know, we have like this make it, make, make it a habit worksheet, um, that we use with people. That's pretty simple to do. And so here's kind of like one way of thinking about moving from goal to next action steps, that I'm going to kind of, I'm just going to kind of draw it for you in your mind. Um, so first of all, you start with the end result, right? So what does the client want to do, be, feel, or see at the end of the coaching process, right? And then you work backwards. So in order to get to the goal, what might the client need to do? So you got this end goal. And so the end goal is, well, this month, what do you need to do, right? Okay, if you, wanna, if you need to do that this month. So for instance, if your end goal is like lose 40 pounds, and your goal to do that is in six months, right? That means you're going to need to lose about five pounds a week, six pounds, right? Yeah, six point seven. Let's call it seven pounds, right? And but but here's the thing, right? This that's the outcome. But then we, we want to choose 
like remember how we talked about skill sets and practices so we don't want to just go like by weight we want to go like by the by behaviors so if the outcome end goal is this this month i'm going to do you know i'm going to break it down to whatever like whatever skill sets and and practices and then this week i'm going to do what and then today i'm going to do what right yeah so the thing is you're kind of still mostly guessing about what could work for your client it's it's a hypothesis right but you still need to test it. And then from there, you choose the next actionable step, right? So once you have the next actions in mind, remember, we gave examples, right? Like uh, eating slower, like eating until, uh, I would say, sa uh, satisfied but not stuffed, right? Or, or full. But you're going to have to take one habit and one or one thing and make sure it matches what your client's already willing and able to do, right? Because if you're like, you know, telling somebody that like you're going to have to cook every meal at home, and they're just not ready, willing, and able to cook every meal at home, like, you're, they're not going to do it, right? So it might be something like, okay, well, listen, like, they're ready, willing, and able to change their breakfast and make a, you know, power smoothie in the morning um, and also, you know, have a meal, meal prep company get them, get them uh, lunch that fits their goals, right? And so maybe that's the next step, right, or next steps. And the thing is, like, once you create a hypothesis, you probably have some good ideas, but the reality is like, look, this is the reality. Like you just won't know what the best next action step is until you try it. I, like this is the crazy stuff about like when, when I guess coaching comes up, people are like, no, this is the steps that the person should take. And it's like, one, everybody's different. That's why I give examples and don't go, well, you should do exactly this and everybody should do exactly this. You create a hypothesis and then you test it, right? So at this st stage, you kind of offer the client your expert suggestions of one to three potential next steps. Like, I, I like this idea of, like, first of all, autonomy, right? Like, you give them, like, out of these three that, we you know, we talked about based on what you said, like, these are the three that um, look like the next possible steps for you um, or general areas to work on. Uh, and like For example, right? So, given, like, what you told me before, you know, Theo, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna use him as an example because he's right here. Um, about having trouble in, like, the mornings, I think we could either tackle your breakfast menu or your sleep habits, which one would you prefer, right? I'm giving an A, B choice here, right? And because now, they, first of all, they feel more in control and they go like, well, you know, let's, let's like sleep seems like something that's gonna take a little longer to do. Let's, let's tackle my breakfast, right? Allow the client to choose that, what they're willing to work on and just what they think is the most important, not what you think, right? Well, I think you should do this. No, like let them choose what they think is the most important and make sure the action is meaningful to the client and not just some random thing, you know, a coach says I should do, which is what happens a lot in coaching, right? I think that you should, I think you should do this, right? Um, and then just break the steps down into the easiest, most consistently doable format, like what we talked about before, right? And make sure that the client knows what what this task, this habit involves, and get the full confidence and buy-in. And we said that, like with that with that question, right? Um, and do only one thing at a time. Now, like, look, sometimes I, I'll assess you know, a client and, and determine if they can do more than one thing. But like, let's like, I'm going to be real with you, right? Like, I think this was a study that um, it's pretty, it's been around for a while, but they, if you try to do more than uh, three things at the same time, like, uh, which would be long-term ha habit changes, the success rate is like 5% or, or six is super low, right? Less than one out of 10 people can do that. If it's two habits, success rate is about the 30 something percent. But if you only try to do one thing at a time, it's like 87, I think. Right. So that's like, you know, if, if 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 I'm a betting man in Vegas, do one thing at a time and make sure that the client's completely confident about this task and ready, willing and able to do it. Right. Um, like you, they got to be that. Right. And then collaborate on the next action step.
right? Don't just tell people what they should do. I remember you guys are a team. It's coactive coaching. And, you know, a team decides together what the next steps should be, right? And then, I mean, step five, you want to observe and monitor what happens. And actually, you know what? Let's go just back to like little step four because some, like once again, you know, I've coached so many different people. Some people are a lot more A-type. Uh, we'll take on more stuff. Uh, we'll, you know, we also work on these things like, uh, you know, how do we make good habits easy to do? And how do we make bad habits harder to do? And, you know, sometimes we've been able to shift environments and create what's called keystone habits that then influence other habits and positive behavior. So one of these, like this has been statistically proven over and over, like if you work out in the morning, you're more likely to eat better. You're more likely to, to improve other habits because working out in the morning and doing something physical in the morning. So it could even be like you work out later, but in the morning you move for 10, 15 minutes, you do your mobility exercises, you do a little circuit, it's going to positively affect the rest of your day. So that would be a keystone habit. So, you know, and like, for instance, um, you know, doing meal delivery, like now you're creating, making a good habit really easy to do because it's done for you, right? So, you know, when I say like, just pick one thing at a time, once again, that's not, um, it's, it's not set in stone. And like we, we've done a lot of different things where we, we kind of like manipulate environments and, and do different things that allow more people to get faster progress um, and, and, and create keystone habits, a lot of these different things. And obviously environment and support groups and coaching takes this to the next level always, right? <clears throat> so I, I want to make a point there because there's a lot to it. But like I said, that strategic moving forward of, of, of strategic tasks versus like throwing everything at you and going like, hey, just do this and you'll kill it. Uh, it just doesn't work that well. Uh, but, but people, you know, even people that do shorter term programs like six weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, and they're able to get through it. Don't get me wrong, like because they're white knuckling, right? They're using all their willpower, but it's unsustainable. Like they just can't, you know, once it's done, they're like, oh, th I'm taking a break, right? Gain the weight back, this, that, the other. So I want like, th these are the things I want to bring to light, Okay. Now, from there, step number five is observe and monitor what happens, right? So we kind of made a hypothesis. Like once you've kind of created the action step for your clients, you both agreed on like what doing the task means and how to track it and, you know, and, you know how to track it and how, how often, you know, you want it to get done. You're kind of experimenting, right? There's, not, there's no failure. Remember, there's no failure. There's, there's only feedback. And hopefully you're looking at the stuff that I'm talking about and going like, holy shit, like this can go, you know, same with my training, same with my business. And it's like, yep, this is just a coaching process, right? So it's like you're gathering that. And then the thing is, like, once you observe a model, what happens, kind of like step one again, right? How, how did your, you know, client, did they consistently do the thing that you, you decided on, right? Uh, how well did they do it? Did any challenges come up and questions come up? Was there anything that went, like, really well? And, like, use this stuff to, like, shape your decision-making moving forward, uh, and, and kind of play to your, your client's strengths. Like this thing goes for you, play to your strengths, right? You're also like monitoring your client and staying in, in like regular contact. I mean, it's part of the process of accountability. And how, you know, how often you do this just depends on needs and preferences. For instance, some clients do best when you're on their shit, like on their case, like you're constantly on them, frequent text messages, emails, phone calls, right? They might, might like a lot of in-person contact and hand-holding, you know, other clients might prefer a hands-off style, right? With regular check-ins that are less frequent and just more casual and um, even like more distance email. I mean, it, there's so many different ways that nobody's the same. So just decide together in advance how you're going to check in and monitor and follow up on how you'll do it. Like this is one of the most powerful things that you can do as a coach is like, you know, ask like, hey, how do you prefer to be communicated with? How do you prefer to, um, 
how often and frequent do you prefer to be checked in with, right? Um, and then that way you can kind of schedule regular progress updates where when once again you gather an update, the specific type of information like body measurements, photos, uh, you know, athletic performance indicators like strength, mobility, speed, you know, vertical jump, whatever it is for that specific client and other wellness stuff like sleep, energy, recovery, HRV. I mean, like, obviously you determine what the, these markers they're going to tell that you're getting better are. Because for some people, like, look, you know, we've had people come in, uh, you know, blood work, sleep, pain, a lot of the pain, right? Like, how do I, like, they're, they're, they're tracking their progress based on how will they move and if they're in pain or not. Um, you know, and it's, it's not, and what's the great things that happen is that like they start getting out of pain they start moving better. Their weight start dropping like as a side effect, right? Just make sure that you don't assume your idea of progress is the same as theirs, right? So I recommend to use something like this daily, you know, the, your client tracks their assigned task. When I say client, like this could be you, right? I remember I said this, this can go any way. I could just be coaching you right here, right? Like your client tracks their assigned task. A simple yes, no checklist is perfectly fine. Did you do it? Check. You know, now you got all these apps and stuff like that. There's a lot of ways to communicate, but it's as easy as texting in. I got it done, right? Weekly or biweekly is, you know, just reviewing together with your client how well and consistently they did their assigned task. And, and this is where I'm kind of like compliance percentages, right? Monthly, you want to assess overall progress indicators, which might be picture, which might be weight, which might be strength, which might be whatever. And quarterly, you assess goals and just overall strategic direction of the coaching program, right? So basically here in step five, you want to track how often well the client gets uh, the task done. Uh, you agree on what measures you track based on a client's goals and definition of progress, right? Not yours, theirs. What would, what would their progress to them look like that would be positive and great? Uh, you know, gather the data to figure out like and, and observe what's going on so that you can uh, uh, kind of agree on scheduled check-ins, monitoring, follow-ups, like you're all on the same page, and then, you know, agree on how often you're going to do that. And from there is step six, and that's the outcome-based decision-making, right? After you observe all the stuff with the assigned action, it's like, what's the next thing, right? This is called OBDM, like outcome-based decision-making. Remember, what you choose to do next should be based on the data you've collected, not just stick to dogma or like the checklist or, you know, where somebody is like, hey, follow this program and do 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 do. Like, no, it's not like, don't do that. Like, don't be rigid, but like make decisions based on the stuff that you've got, right? Because your regular schedule of checking in and monitoring clients should eventually give you some data on how well things are going, right? So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you got you to take this stuff and assess what's going on before you make the next decision. Like, you can't just go off of like, well, here's, you know, and this is part of, I would say, a lot of programs where, um, I guess that that give you this like follow follow this, right? But but that's not you know that's not what's going to work best. I can tell you that right now, right? Because you want to you want to you want to build off of what's specific to them, okay? So at the assessment stage, you want to keep it simple. You want to go step by step, not slowly but strategically, and you want to set priorities. Like look for the most important things to focus on. Okay, and and like I said, there's a lot of different ways that um, that you can like you can do this. Now, you know what we do first, honestly, is you know this three to five day, um, I would say, uh, dietary compliance. Just like what is your what does your food look like, right? And we use different tools, and I'm not gonna go through all these different tools because like man, there's so many different tools. I mean, obviously that's why 
you know, nutrition coaching is, um, is so, I, I guess there's so much to it, right? But like, I'm trying to simplify as much as possible, but you know, you want to find out what people are currently doing. And then from there, you want to be able to also find out what they're willing to do, right? And understand that we want to focus on the behavior goals versus outcome goals, right? The outcome goals basically specify what you want to happen at the end of things, the outcome. But behavior goals, like those are the things that are the actions that got to be taken to get there, the processes, the actions, the steps, the behaviors that have to occur, right, for the progress to move forward. And so, you know, when, when you're doing this, this is really important, be, whether it's for yourself or for your client. For, like step one, you have to show how behaviors lead to the outcome, right? Because people get so stuck on, fo- I want to lose this weight, I want to lose this weight. And like, let's break it down. Like the outcome doesn't just happen, right? There's a process for how to get there. I think this is one of like these really, really kind of aha important things that that person can see that like, hey, if I do this behavior, it's going to lead me to that out- outcome, right? Like step number two is you got to help the client understand what they can control and what they can't. And you got to you got to help them focus on changing what they can control. For instance, what they eat, you know, going to sleep, reducing stress levels. Right. It, it, the controllable stuff. But steer them away from thinking about what they can, like how fast they'll lose weight. Like you like, first of all, I just gave an example at the beginning about two identical twins. Right. Um, DNA and everything. And, and how if you gave them the same diet, they would not lose the same amount of weight, have the same body composition, like it just wouldn't happen, even though they're identical, right? So with that said, it's important to like make sure that you help them focus on what they can control. Then from there, step three is identifying some possible behaviors that lead to the outcome that the client wants, right? So together with the client, you reverse engineer the behavior that'll happen to get to their, to their goals. Start with the end and work backwards. I mean, so these are the things like, you know, eating slower, eating more, um, having the right amount of protein every day, you know, eating a half a plate of veggies, drinking more water, improving their sleep, starting a strength training program, right? Notice how like so many of these different things, uh, having, you know, smarter carbs, right? These, like, these are all, I would say, skills. And then, of course, you, di- you build the daily practice in with that, right? Step four is you choose one behavior and set it as a goal. And once again, I said that like th- this, is, um, this is one of those things where like, sure, like maybe... There's behaviors that are connected and you actually do more, more than one. But you also like, listen, like you got to like you got to create expectations and trade offs. Another thing that most people don't talk about enough. And like if you're listening to this and you're talking to yourself about it, like this is important. Right. You got to ask like if you're asking a client, you got to ask what matters most to them, why it matters to them and what they can reasonably manage and can also like help you talk about just realistic expectations. Right. Because if somebody goes and we get this a lot, I'm sure maybe you've got this right. It's like. Hey, I, you know, I, I got a wedding in um, this much time. I want to lose 30 pounds in, you know, six weeks. Like, is it possible? Yeah. You know, it's like getting there, like going to be healthy or safe or, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. So you got you got to you just got to manage expectations. Right. Like and, and the thing is, many of like your clients, maybe you have never lived in a lean, muscular, athletic or healthy body. So they won't have any idea of what daily behaviors it's tech to, to, to get those outcomes. They're just what they're seeing is like this you know, whether it's social media and like these quick programs and quick fix it and get this and get these pills and get right. Like, 
and, and a lot of times they're assuming and judging based off of that what their friend told them. You know, they went on keto and like all of a sudden they lost 30 pounds in, you know, six, seven weeks, eight weeks, whatever it may have been. Right. And it's like you got to talk about these expectations. Right. So explore the trade offs. Right. And, and as part of your assessment and ongoing monitoring, you explore the like want, willing and won't like, you know, the kind of think of it this way. It's like it's almost a chart that you want to create. Right. So like in one line is like, what do you want? OK, what are you willing to do for that goal right now? And what won't you do for that goal right now? Because even if you just bring this stuff right uh, up, like for instance, uh, what, what do you want? Well, I want to build muscle. I want to look more. I want to be more lean and athletic and want to lose, you know, 25 pounds. What are you willing to do for that goal right now? And it might be like, well, I'm maybe they're willing to do, you know, go super hardcore nutrition and train seven days a week. And which, look, I'm not recommending. I'm just making this stuff up to give an example. Right. But what won't you do? Well, maybe it's like, well, listen, I'm not going to go low carb and I want to do this. I don't want to. Right. But the thing is, once you get that, even when you even when they write it out, you know, some clients might start to realize that they don't they don't want to make certain trade offs. Right. Some people might want to make certain trade offs, but based on where they currently stand. And it might be like, you know, percentage of body fat, certain body type, age, whatever. It might be unrealistic or unhealthy. You know, and I'd, I'll bring that to light. Like, hey, listen, like this. It's unhealthy for you to, you know, pursue this goal. And as the coach, part of your job, like, will be, you know, to, like, help coach your clients, but in a safe way and for them to understand their trade-offs. Like, that's really, really, really important, right? So I'll give you an, I'll give you an example here, right? I'll give you an example. I think examples are um, really powerful just for you to, I mean, just just to see how it would work in the real world and maybe like how you already talk to yourself, but not in a way that's going to help you move forward. Right. So, you know, step one, if you said, OK, show how behaviors lead to outcomes. You said you'd like to be, you know, 180 pounds. Tell me what you think needs to happen to get there. I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear your first. Right. So this is this is a great you know thing because it's like you ask them and they, they'll probably have like, well, I need to, you know, cut down on doing this at night or going out as much and whatever, right? Step two is help the client understand what they can control. Now, just to be clear, we can set a timeline on this. Everybody's bodies is different, but what, what we can control is what you choose to eat and how much, right? So now we're identifying that, right? From there, number three is identifying possible behavior goals. You know, I'm going to use Theo as an example here again, but like, hey, Theo, from your list of possible behaviors, it looks like the portion control is an important part of losing weight. Would you like to start working on some basic portion controls our first goal together? Right? I'm I'm get like I'm giving them the option. Okay. Step four, assign a small specific task. Hey, what seems the easiest to you or more strategic? Using plate size? Okay, cool. So let's start simply. How about for this week? You'll eat a dinner off a smaller plate. Right? And maybe, maybe it might be like, hey, how about this week? You prepare, you know, the smoothie in advance or the breakfast to in the evening and you do a specific like you know exactly what it is it's like three eggs and a chicken sausage and a piece of ezekiel bread and you know that that's going to be you know have this type of macros that are going to fit you right or going to have these real things right so once you you know once you've done that like now you can set realistic expectations and you know most people might not even know that there's like a middle ground between between extremely unfit and like fitness magazine model right the only, to them, the only way to be in shape or be healthy may be a photoshopped image that, like I said, it keeps coming back to the social media stuff. Um, you know, crazy, grueling workout regime, right? You know what I mean? Like seven days a week, two a days, 
um, in a super restrictive diet plan, which which is not true. And but this is where we're at right now, right? The you know the six week beach body mentality, the you know the detoxes, this that the other. Where you know so part of your job as a coach is to help them see the range of possibilities and options, and that are achievable and realistic, right? And so for instance. You got to go through, like, hey, listen, research is showing that even losing 5 to 10 pounds can help improve health. You don't necessarily have to lose 50 pounds to feel, uh, to feel better. Uh, and it's like, and then you create these, I would say, uh, you know, guidelines to, like, what you're shooting for in the short term, right? So these are all really, really, really important things that I would say that, um, that are helpful. And from there, like, lead into things that, that I think is another part that people don't really think about, which is, determining with the client right what are the things that would they 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 are for sure willing to eat you know and it, this could be for anything like but we're going to use food as an example like what they're for sure willing to do what they're maybe on and maybe and, and what's what's in no way um we like pn calls this the abc worksheet but this way like what you end up doing is that most people right like hey listen what are the foods that you love? Like, write all those down. Like, the, the things that you for sure love to eat. Okay, cool. Write them down here. Okay, what are your maybes? Okay, write them here. What are, there's no way that you do them, right? But when you do that, guess what? Now, you're re- now you can create a realistic plan because people are like, well, this is what I love to do and this is a maybe and this would fit, right? And so choosing a direction, you know, that helps you choose a direction for coaching and building like an early action plan, right? So as you work with, your client to, you know, what we talked about earlier is like understand their values and motivations and priorities and goals. Uh, everything should start becoming clear as far as your strategy for coaching. Because look, some people will like, you know, some people, I mean, we have coaching like Bonnie, uh, Tim, like there's people right off the top of my head that are a lot more analytical and like they actually love doing the, the calories and numbers and where we still we teach, we still teach a lot of the how, you know, how to eat. Um, but the, their guidelines are a little bit different, Right. And, you know, for a lot of times, you'll just have an intuitive sense of what to do next and why and how that fits into the bigger picture. Other times, it just won't be clear. And then you can ask yourself, what are they already doing well and how can I help them do more of that? Right. And this is what I call like shining a light, like the bright spots and the small wins, like whatever they're winning at, help them win more at it. That, that's actually the best strategy to go at. Like they're already doing something, help them do it more often or doing, help them do it even better. Then it's, you know, the second part is like, what's holding them back? Why haven't they already changed? Those are limiting factors. What are some small actions that can start moving my client in the right direction is the question you should be asking yourself. And once again, when I say small, I really mean strategic. Uh, And, you know, also like, hey, what can my client realistically and reasonably do? Because as coaches, we sometimes get ahead because we want the best for our clients. And so you're like, well, okay, I'm going to give them these these things that they should do that's going to really get them ahead. But we forget, like, can they reasonably and realistically do them, right? And so on that whole identifying small wins and bright spots, one easy and, like, motivating way to keep clients, you know, moving forward towards their goals is simply to ask them, like, hey, what have you already tried that seems to help? Or, or you know, uh, what's already working well for you? What could work in your favor here? Like, for instance, if somebody knows how to cook and they're organized, you know, or they leave, they, they live close to the gym. Like those are all things that what could work in their favor, like let them bring it up and then you can work on that. You know, you, you've mentioned struggling with, with, uh, with whatever thing it is, right? You've mentioned struggling with eating at night. 
Uh, are there times when that doesn't happen? When eating at night doesn't, you know, you don't, you don't eat at night additionally. Times when dealing with, you know, eating at night is a little bit easier. And, you know, they might be like, yeah, you know, every time I go to, um, you know, to go walk the park with my friend on Wednesdays, uh, I, I tend not to do that, eat, like eating at night. Oh, okay, so now you, you found that bright spot, you can bring it up, right? Now you can go like, hey, do you think that like doing that two, three days a week and maybe sometimes going by yourself and listening to podcasts would work, right? And, uh, you know, questions like, it sounds like you had some motivation to start working. Maybe what was the motivation? What pushed you to come here today and not wait and, you know, say start next week or next month or whatever it may be, right? Because from there, like, there's a next action you can then suggest that they can build on the stuff that they're already doing well, like that I just talked about. But those questions can help you bring that out in somebody, right? That second part is identifying limiting factors. So, you know, another way to keep clients kind of rolling along is to remove whatever is basically the block and preventing them from moving forward, right? So why haven't you already done what you'd like to do? You know, and you have to obviously ask that in a friendly way. I might have, I might have even like been a little bit too aggressive there, but like it might have been like, "Hey, why haven't you already done? You know what what you're what you'd like to do?" See, now I know notice my 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 tone of voice changed there, so I'd probably go with that route right there, right? What's blocking you from doing you know X Y Z, whatever they're trying to tr do? Sometimes there's good reasons for not changing. What would you say is the advantage for you for not changing right now? That's a powerful question, right? Because now they go like, "Well." man, like, what is the advantage for me doing it? Well, I, I like, you know, hanging out at home with, with my friend and watching Netflix, right? That's the advantage. But just bringing the awareness to that is powerful, right? So the thing is, the client might have a lost, long list of limited factors, right? So don't get bogged down with that. Don't get freaked out by it, um, you know, because once again, you're just working through it one by one, right? And once you've brainstormed a list of limiting factors, just help them choose the one that they like to work on right? Have them pick the biggest kind of boulder in their path or the tiniest, easiest to grab. And I always say this, like it's one or two options, right? It's the lowest hanging fruit or it's to eat the frog. Like the lowest hanging fruit is the one that's like stresses you out the least and you can move forward. And some people will prefer that, right? Eat the frog is like, hey, take on the biggest thing. Like what's the hardest thing to do? Do that first, right? And a question that I might ask is something like, okay, out of the entire list, think about two things. Either what's the biggest block? the thing that would make the biggest difference if we fixed it right now? Or what's the easiest thing to do? Huh, okay, great. So which one would you like to work on first? Right, so that would be an example of how I get somebody to move forward and actually do something, right? Uh, this is called, like, I actually love this. I actually do a lot of this in, in my business coaching too. Um, it's called a documentary film question. So let's say a, a documentary film crew is making a movie of your life, right? They follow you around all the time, filming everything that you do, what you ate, when you ate it, how you ate it, where you ate it, and so on, right? So if we sit down together this evening and review this footage, what do you think would stand out? If you imagine your life as the kind of movie, what might we see as some of the behaviors that are blocking you from getting what you want? Powerful question, right? So it's powerful. Here's why. It's powerful because it makes the person like, imagine it, right? It becomes visual, okay? It becomes visual, and so now all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know what it probably is? It's, it's this, right? And so then you want to figure out the right type of action. So I, once you identify bright spots and limiting factors and think about them in the context of, you know, the client's lifestyle, values, priorities, goals, 
you will have some ideas for the next thing to do. But ask the client to choose first. Like clients believe that they hear themselves say, like instead of, like they want to hear themselves say the thing versus you telling them to do it, right? So given all this, what do you think you'll do next? Right, that might be a great question here. So you say that now might be a time to consider cutting back on sugar. How would you go about it if, if you were ready? What steps do you need to take to get this started? Right? These are like powerful questions that will help people move forward. You can also ask your client what they might, uh, might want to do next while combining it with it. Like just, to, I guess, the, the, the pick-me-up, right, that you'll prevent, like, provide the guidance and expertise and be the Sherpa uh, if they get stuck. So um, after reviewing all of these, I have some ideas, but I'd like to hear yours first. Knowing yourself and what you want to do, what might you like to work on first? What seems most urgent for you? Right. So notice that like these questions help. Like a lot of this is I, I talked about a ton of this before. Right. But it's um, motivational interviewing, coactive coaching, phenomenal resources and in uh, that you should definitely dig into. Right. Because we want to make sure once again that like this person like notice like the things that I've been talking about. I haven't really brought up like. It's better to eat a strawberry than it is to eat a Twinkie, right? <laughs> it, because we talked about the what. Like, remember, this is the how we get to, do, like, how we eat. We help with the how we eat coaching process. And, like, this is somebody that's, like, the, you know, person at the end that's, like, I want to change and they're listening to this. Like, you can do this with yourself. Like, now, this is the reason why I also covered the, uh, the five S's and said why the fifth S is support and having somebody in your corner, okay? Um, and so, you know, Going back to like the ready, willing, and able, this is another thing and another part that most people like that you can check yourself for yourself if you're trying to do something, right? And, and this is back to like this question of how, you know, how capable somebody is, is, you know, the ready, willing, and able question is like on a scale of one to 10, how ready are you to be to do this task, right? To do this thing, whatever it may be. On a scale of one to 10, how willing are you to do this? On a scale of one to 10, how are you able to, um, how able are you to do this task, right? And remember, this like the thing has to be nine or ten. If you don't get it, you gotta make things smaller. You gotta make them easier. And you keep asking these questions, and you get you know until you get the nine out of ten, right? On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you that you could absolutely, for sure, no matter what, do this task, behavior, this thing every day, right? And just adjust and scale back the proposed behavior or task until the client can tell you it's nine out of ten. Right. Remember, no task is too small to start with. And, and you got to set realistic expectations. This is where most people fall short because it's, you know, the desire, like the idea of like, man, I'm willing to do this. But then when you when you go through this, am I ready, willing and able to do this? And you will have so much more success um, in being able to knock this out. If you choose the, rest, the, the right behavior for yourself. Right. So. I know we've like man we've we've been going for quite a bit right here. Yeah. All right, but we'll we'll spend another ten to fifteen minutes, um, like going through this. And like I said, I'm, what, these are things that are pretty damn deep. And and what I want to do is that um, you know, work on a number of kind of like master classes on specific topics uh, that have parts one, part two, so on and so forth. Um, that you can hopefully really take a lot from right. And then you can notice that you know we're mixing it up here a lot. Um. 
which is my stilo because I like to educate and teach um, and give, I would say, frameworks to actually help you do something right now versus, uh, you know, sometimes like, look, sometimes it's inspirational stuff, but sometimes like this is the teaching stuff that you can use like right away. Um, and one thing that I for sure want to want to um, touch on is ambivalence, you know, and it still doesn't get talked about enough. I, I think in, in the, the coaching, nutrition, training world um, and just no, because the thing is just having awareness of this can be so powerful because it, it can I, I guess it can, you know, as a coach, it can uh, lower your stress because when you when you're able to go like, oh, this is normal, like that's powerful. Right. And change just naturally involves mixed emotions and ambivalence. Right. It, even if we really want to change, we may feel stuck. We're just attached to something that keeps, you know, just keeps us from changing. Right. We may feel pulled between different things, such as taking care uh, of, of others versus taking care of ourselves, uh, wanting to lose weight, but not wanting to give up comfort eating. I mean, like, think about that. Like, there's so many things right now in my, in my own life that's like I have ambivalence around, right? And you got to, and, and I'm sure you do too. Like, what are the things in your life where you're like, oh, I want to do this, but I want to do that, right? And just know that ambivalence is just absolutely normal, right? Ambivalence, mixed feelings, like uh, contradictory behavior, don't mean that you, like, or in, your, in this case, your clients don't want to change. And it doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean that they're dumb, illogical, they're, that they're difficult, you know, um, or not motivated, which is bullshit because a lot of people will bring that up. Like, oh, they're just not motivated. They're just not committed. No, like, you're, you have the same shit in your life. It's, it's, it's called ambivalence. We all have it. And, you know, change always involves these kind of competing drives and forces, right? And unless you have a very specific advanced elite like client population most clients will feel at least a bit stuck or conflicted and i would even say you know because i was an elite athlete you know and man like even at that point in time i still had ambivalence around things okay and many people just come to you having some kind of uh i don't know like painful confrontation slash uh you know run into the wall of hey like something happens in their life and it creates this like trigger of I need to change. But that does, you know, they still may not be ready, willing and able. And and this can happen to everybody. Like even if, you know, even I don't know if you like you, like if you're a coach listening or if your client is like an educated expert in a, fel- in, in a field of health and nutrition, like, man, like why, you know, why did it take me so long to like hip- fix my sleep and knowing I had to fix it, right? Because it was not helping me achieve my goals or be, you know, healthier and and better, and all these different things, right? And, and clients might not know why they're, you know, why they're doing certain things. You know, I start, I start out trying to eat uh, healthy, and then I don't know, I just kind of goes off the rails, and to, you know, it's a shit show. You know, how many times have you heard somebody say that? So as a coach, like you can help them, like normalize this ambivalence and understand that it's okay, and it's all parts, it's part of the process of change, right? Talk them through it clarifying what's actually going on and why like the ambivalence might be there like identify the you know kind of the, the resistance you know the um as uh steven Presswell would say uh he calls it the resistance but like slaying the dragon right the forces that are acting against change and understand that they might not be invested in not changing right now or or attached to like two two ways of coping that might work against their goals like for instance emotional eating overtraining restricting food or like rigidly controlling their diets um and so i'm gonna literally give you a couple of coaching scripts like you could replay this rewind this and listen to them and like use these right um 
So <clears throat> put the yolk in my, my, my throat. Oh, this is the script. Don't worry. It's pretty normal to have mixed feelings about changing. It happens to everyone. In fact, most of the time, there are good reasons for not changing. I'd be curious to hear about yours. If you want to make change X, why haven't you made that change already? What do you think that is blocking you from doing that? So that's one script. It's a phenomenal script. You use it a lot regularly. You can use it through email as well, by the way, right? If you're doing online coaching. Second one. It's pretty common to want to change. Then get blocked somehow. I'm here to help you get unblocked. Tell me more about where you seem to get stuck in particular. You've got great intentions and want to do better. And then what happens? Talk me through that. Right? So that's talking through ambivalence. And like I said, this is going all back to the motivational interviewing. Um, and specifically, like if you're in fitness, you should get the book Motivational uh, Interviewing in Nutrition and Fitness, which is specific to that. But what, what, what am I and what motivational interviewing is? It's directive client-centered counseling. Um, and it's a style like for eliciting behavior change by helping clients to explore and resolve their ambivalence. That's what it is. It's actually used in a lot of programs um, with addiction in schools. Uh, that's where I first actually heard about it and, and, and got the, the motivational interviewing book, which is great, but it's a lot more deeper and clinical. And so uh, the one for nutrition is great. And so here's the, like these called, they're called the crazy questions, right? This, these are great questions um, and that you'd, you'd ask your client and that would help them with ambivalence. Like, what is good about not changing? Let them answer that question. The second one is, what might be bad about changing? The third one is, is what is good about changing? And then fourth one is, what might be bad about not changing? Right, like it, you notice, there's this push-pull, right? So, what is pushing them away from their old ways of doing this? What's pulling them towards trying something different? What habits might they have to train to try this new thing? And then, what anxiety does potential change create? Right, and and show like the thing is, here's why we're doing this and why we're asking these questions because you want to show them how the two things are happening at the same time, right? And just a subtle change in language can affect how your client thinks about their situation. So point that out, point out that this thing and that, you know, that thing are both happening for your clients simultaneously, right? So for example, like, hey, on one hand, you say you want to eat better. On the other hand, you're finding yourself getting a lot of takeout food because you're so busy. Or, or for instance, so, uh, so it sounds like you'd like to get back into pre-baby shape with healthy eating and regular workouts. At the same time, you're finding that raising a new baby is taking all your energy and your eating is inconsistent. Right. And you want to that's where you want you want to develop the discrepancy because discrepancy is the engine of change. And to develop discrepancy, you got to point out the gap between your client is and where they say they want to be. So another example, like, I, I mean, I like talking to you guys through this because I have notes and examples and all these different things, because I feel like they'll be really helpful when you hear it versus me just talking about it. Right. Hmm. Um, help me figure this out. You've mentioned that you want to be around a long time for your kids and your grandkids. It's something that you really value. So I'm just wondering, like, how does your current eating fit in with this? Right. So that might be the question that creates the discrepancy. Uh, another one, like, uh, okay, so on your assessment form, you say that you eat pretty healthy, and that's definitely a priority for you. Now, when I look at your food journal, I'm noticing five evenings out of seven involve a fair bit of alcohol. Tell me about how you see those two things matching up. Now, here's, this is the hardest part, actually, of this, 
is you got to be careful to be neutral and non-judgmental here, right? You're just observing the mismatch and being curious about it, not telling the client what they should be doing, right? Because if, if you say it in a way of like, huh, like tell me how you see those two things matching up, right? Now it's like I'm being judgmental, right? And, and now all of a sudden that person's probably going to like try to defend themselves, right? And you want to not fight with their, you know, you don't want to fight their resistance either. You just roll with it. Like be patient. Clients always have the option not to change. Paradoxically, right, often just knowing this makes them more willing to change. Okay, so it's like, hey, okay, sounds like you're not willing to do X right now. That's, to that's cool, right? You never have to do X if you don't want to, but we can try Y instead, right? And you can also try negotiating and exploring, you know, it may not be a solid no, but rather like a not right now type of thing with the client, right? Um, or or I, I, realized, I didn't realize I have other options. Okay, so it sounds like you're not willing to do X right now. That's cool. Just out of curiosity, would X done in a different way, you know, place or time work for you? Would doing X with a friend work for you? Could you ever see yourself doing X maybe six months from now? What about 10% of X? I'm just wondering. Feel free to say no. Right? Notice how like, like being able to have that, those type of conversations are so powerful. Right? If you push against your client's resistance, you're going to lose. Right? You'll only meet the resistance. Right? And pushing includes things like you should, like words like this. You should. What you need to do is, look, I don't see why it's so hard about this. You just have to. Research says that if you don't you know, do blah, 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 you'll end up in big trouble. Like, don't try to argue or persuade or convince. Like, even if you're 100% correct, it's excruciating to keep your mouth shut. I know it. Like, but the thing is, here's the, the kicker, right? You're not going to get far from here. Like, this is, this is how coaching is done. And, like, if you're, you know, if you're listening to this and going like, oh, shit, like, I'm not doing this. Cool. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Like, you, you know, that's why you're learning. And you can find better, I said, the, the how we eat type of thing. And, like, you know, working on those different things. Because if you're working harder than the client to make them change, you're coaching wrong, period, right? And, and you have to expect failure. Mistakes, failures, screw-ups, challenges, setbacks, robot, all that shit. Like, they, you know, they're, they're inevitable. Expect them, welcome them. Get curious and get compassionate about it, right? These are opportunities to learn, like iterate, clarify coaching tasks. Like the, the setbacks will like help you, right? So, you know, you want to help them also... First of all, you want to ask rather than tell. You want to open a dialogue rather than giving a monologue, right? Open a dialogue, have a conversation. And, and treat your like, client as a collaborator who's just, you know, courageously facing the challenge of change. Just like you would, just like you probably have, just like I have. But don't, don't treat them like an unmotivated, like unmotivated idiot, right? That needs your coaching genius and expertise and nobody else can help them. Um, and, and just help them, like you know, reframe. We all have, like, we all have stories and scripts in our heads about how things work or, you know, what's going on here. Um, and our, our days and perceptions about our lives make up that frame that limits what we think we can do or what we choose to do. So your, your client might, you know, might be the object of something because they're focused on what they can't do rather than what they can. And although there's like real solutions to nearly every nutrition exercise objection imaginable, once, like, once a client or you, you know, have made up your mind in this case, um, like, it's just going to be impossible to change because their brains will shut down and they'll just accept failure. So, you know, this, they, they won't be able to solve their own problem regardless of how easy or obvious the solution may seem to you, right, to you. But for, for them, the solution lies outside of their frame. So they can't see it. 
So you get you can't get frustrated with them. Like rather just understand that the ideas and perceptions that make up their current frame prevent them from seeing, you know, the solution that's to their problem, which which may be super clear to you, right? Maybe super clear to you, but like it doesn't it doesn't mean it's going to be clear to them, right? So you got to help them reframe the situation. And reframing involves three different parts, right? Number one, you got to acknowledge the client's concerns rather than dismissing them. That's the worst thing that you can do is dismiss shit, right? You can't do that, right? So these because these obstacles are real to to that person, and if you just brush them off, they'll they'll feel embarrassed and probably become like more resistant. So you don't want to do that, right? But if you respect and recognize the concerns as like something that's valid, you'll you'll create basically you'll show empathy and you'll create trust, right? Which is so important when it comes to coaching and any any relationship building, right? Number two is like you got to tell them a different story about how things work or what's going on here, right? Move from focusing on the obstacles that are like stopping their progress and and switch to the advantages that each client may already have. So like something like the, the fitness knowledge they already have, nutrition knowledge you already have, like the maybe the joy of cooking. They tell you that they're cooking or a flexible work schedule. Right. So you want to tell a different story. Now work with the number three is like work with the client to solve that like problem or the perceived problem. Right. Uh, and develop a strategy to get around these obstacles. The thing is, what that does, it also makes them feel like an active kind of participant in the process, right? So you can reframe with openness like, that's one way to look at, look at it. Another way to look at it is, you know, and then obviously you fill in the blank. From my perspective, here's how that looks. And another question is like, hey, uh, is there another story you could tell about that? So a, a classic example, uh, for instance, that somebody might have come to us because they failed at dieting, which is a lot of people. Um, might be something like this. So let's say, uh, I always say Jenny. So I'm not going to say Jenny, okay? Tamika. So Tamika and me, this is going to be the conversation between us. So Tamika says, I suck. I, I just can't stick to diet. I've tried so many and have just failed them, all, all of them. Like, I, I just can't stick to anything. And, and I'll say, okay, Tamika, well, how many diets have you tried? I don't know. I've just tried and tried for the last 20 years. Then I'll go, okay, well, from my perspective, that's actually very impressive. You kept trying things that were difficult, intimidating, and something that really upset you for like 20 years. Like you've persi persisted over and over and over again, like in the face of all these like setbacks. That's crazy. That tells me you really want to change and you have quite a bit of resilience. Right. And then Tamika is going to go like, oh, I never thought of it like that. Right. So notice how I ref reframe that. So in. You know, a lot of times what you want to do is like create this powerful reframe, reframe the, like the client in charge or better than expected reframe, right? Because we all want to be in charge of our own decisions. And when you, like the coach, can ask a client the right questions, you can get them to talk themselves into changing. So just consider the following examples. Like notice how the coach uh, draws the client's attention onto how they're already on the path to change, right? Or they're demonstrating some ability a little bit better. Right. So that's important because by answering the question, the client is compelled to now, you know, comment on their own change of motivation. Right. And when they do that, they force to realize that somehow they're moving towards change, even if just a little bit. And like that's powerful. Because, you know, as at first, the things that like they think that all this stuff is so hard and unworkable, but then they might realize that it's as, you know, not as unworkable as they assume that it is. Right. So 
Last part here that I want to I want to touch on because uh, is communicating effectively, right? And I'll I'll finish on that today without going deeper into this because this is kind of like the coaching how tos, right? And like I said, there's so much here to unpack. But what I wanted to do is obviously you know get into like how the process would go. Even like I said, if you're if you're a person trying to to change like how you'd speak to yourself and you know by now you like listening to this podcast you may have guessed that like clear communication is just an essential part of coaching and like i said and it's like with yourself i mean i know sometimes it's difficult like when you're listening to something and going like okay what what if i'm asking myself these questions but but these strategies are helpful like i mean obviously it makes a lot of sense if you're a coach listening to this and going like, hey, if I'm working with a client, but if you're a client listening to this, like, I, this is what I would do if I'm listening to podcasts. I'm writing this stuff down because I'm like, man, I, I gotta write this out and like see what my own obstacles are, right? And you know, as a coach, you might be the first person a new client sees when they decide to change their habits, or you know, you, or maybe you're you know the last like I don't know fit pro in a long you know and possibly possibly like uh, frustrating line of people, right? Either way, like your role is just massively important. So you may need to give clients a great introduction to the joy of eating healthy and like living actively. Uh, and you might have to undo a lot of shit, right? That, you know, from previous experiences with other, I don't know, coaches, pros, you know, uh, diet programs, online stuff that they got, you know, experts, whatever, right? Like to, and, and to do this, like you have to communicate effectively and it has to be effective. It has to be simple. It has to be encouraging. Um, especially in the early stages of, of like assessment and action planning. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes too that happens in fitness. Uh, like in, take the world fitness out, just in coaching, right? Um, and so I'm going to give you guys some uh, examples. And first of all, like give you these 11 points that, of how to communicate more clearly, right? So number one, you got to make your message clear, simple, and direct. Like use plain language, Avoid technical jargon and all the bullshit and try to make yourself, you know, seem super smart. Uh, and do not use industry, you know, kind of buzzwords, whether it's nutrition, training, whatever else, right? So you got to make your message clear, simple, and direct. Then you got to make your message clear and consistent, right? Make your words match your actions and other nonverbal cues. Very, very important because otherwise, like, people get threatened and they shut down, right? If you have expectations, state them clearly. So if you have underlying assumptions, test them first. Separate fact from op opinion. For example, I've noticed that you've been 15 minutes late to the last two sessions is a fact. You're inconsiderate is an opinion. So note, like, it's very important with communication, right? Separate fact from fiction. What are the facts? What are the opinions? Focus on one thing at a time, right? I in this one, I'd say focus on less than what you're, like, Try to do less, but do it better and do more of it, right? If you have feedback or relevant guidance, like give it immediately to the client, okay? Once again, if you have feedback or relevant guidance, give it immediately. Be supportive and accepting. Like this is so important that, and, and most people, you know, miss this. But you don't have to like what the client is giving you, but it's what you have to work with right now. And that's it. Like that's why we're coaches. That's why we do the things that we do. You know, speak to the client on their own terms. Listen for and use their language like mirror nonverbal cues and speech patterns a bit right like not enough to be creepy <laughs> i see somebody like doing that shit just like completely mimicking stuff uh and it'd be like in the movie us 
I mean, like freaking somebody out. Uh, you know, and don't do like, you know, like, I don't know. I remember, like, actually, I used to do this to my brother. Where I just repeat all the shit he said, like a parrot, and it piss him off. Don't do that, right? So, but just, you know, figure out how they learn best and, and just cater to that, right? Uh, test that the client has understood you. Ask them to show you and demonstrate if needed, you know, if something that you said. You may have to say things several ways to make it clear. I always say, um, even to my team, I say, what are you hearing me say, right? What are you hearing me say? Uh, so that I see if they understood what I'm saying clearly. Um, make sure that you get and keep your client's attention. So use their name, make appropriate eye contact, body language, um, and, why, and, and explain why it's important for them to understand, right? And communicate for the listener, not the speaker, right? Create connection and understanding. Don't just speak, you know, to convince or impress somebody, you know. Just imagine yourself in their position. What might they need to hear, right? Those, those are some, like, bullet point tenets of communicating clearly. Um, and, and with that said, um, like, man, I, I could, you know, I'm looking at Theo, and he's like, dude, we're getting close to two hours. But so th this is, like, I, I wanted to dig deep and, like, you know, there's the what and the how. And what I wanted to touch on is the coaching of the how, right? Because these are the things that lead to, I would say, um, to how we change the way that we eat, right? So, I, and like I said, I wanted to build on, like, these kind of uh, master classes as far as, like, giving you tools that you can use not only, obviously, obviously with your clients, but also for yourself. Like, the things that we went over, um, I mean, Look, how many how many of those can you use yourself? And like, I'm a big fan of obviously journaling, writing things down, and things of that nature. And so you could do that same thing. Like you could do that same thing where you're taking everything I just covered, and like journaling and writing down the questions. Hey, those you know the four crazy questions. Could you not write them down right now to figure out the ambivalence? Like what's you know what's not good about change? Right? You could do all those things. Yeah, you could use them in, in like any basically, obviously, certainly in fitness and nutrition coaching, but in any coaching business. But like you can use them with yourself because just creating that, writing that stuff out could give you so much clarity, right? Could give you so much clarity. And so once again, like we're going to keep this as um, part one um, of, like I said, digging into uh, not only like how to coach nutrition, how to just coach change um, and the how part of it and you know, we'll be back with another episode. Like I said, like these can really go long because I, you know, I, I tend to be able to like talk for really long periods of time uh, on this one because I love it. I'm excited about it. Like I'm obsessed with like coaching and becoming the best coach possible and helping you guys become the best coaches that you can be, uh, whether it's you're coaching somebody else or coaching yourself. And so with that said, today we are finishing this off. As always, guys, like whatever you heard, Make sure that you go and apply something. Something stuck out at you. Maybe it's an example of a question that I gave. Maybe it's a script that I gave. Um, maybe it's certain bullet points, um, you know, resources, this, that, the other, ABC list, whatever it may be, like, go and use it, right? Go and use it and, and move forward, right? Like, move forward. And like I said, because some of the stuff that I mentioned, you know, we talked about skill sets. This is a skill set, and you can break it down to daily practices. And one of your daily practices could be, hey, one of the things that Luca shared, how can I use that daily with one client? And if you did it for 30 days straight, guess what? You're going to get really good at, like, building that skill set. So that's the type of, uh, I, I would say, thought process that I want you to have uh, around this. And, you know, as always, I, I love and appreciate every review. Thank you for spending your time 
with me where you could be doing a lot of other things, um, but you're here listening to me. So I appreciate that. I'm very grateful for every single one of you out there listening. Um, I appreciate any review. As like I said, when you share it, when you review it, you give your honest feedback. Uh, it allows us to you know, imp- keep, keep improving the podcast, more people listening to it. And like I said, I think you know, it's the greatest honor in the world to be called a coach. And if we can get more people to take this on, and like I said, I, everybody's a coach. You're coaching in some area of your life. And if we can spread this, then we can help more people change and improve. Um, and so with that said, Coach Luca's out. I will see you in the next, well, I should say I should hear you in the next Vigor Life podcast. Peace.